You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Pittsburgh is stuck in quicksand. To the goal. Passes right side. What a save by Deco and Eller. Rebound. They score. Eric Carlson wins it for the Penguins. We're not going to be playing as many games loaded right now. Maybe it's a beer talking, Mark, but you got a butt that won't quit. We're up 2-0 at home. You know, that should be lockdown point. It's a complete crap. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. It is Halford, it is Bruff, it is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Adog, good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate dealer today. We are in Hour 1 of the program. Hour 1 is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sorfi, what are you waiting for? Kintech. Big show on a Wednesday. Got a lot to get into. Canucks game last night. Guest list begins at 6.30. Uh, Jeff Merrick is going to join us, host of The Jeff Merrick Show. And the 32 Thoughts podcast, he's on at 6.30. At 7.30, Mike McIntyre is going to join us from the Winnipeg Free Press. Free Press. Uh, Gary Bettman went to Winnipeg yesterday. It was just a regularly scheduled visit for Gary Bettman. I didn't say that properly. It was just a regularly... Five dollars? Five dollars. <laughs> I'm like, Homer. Regularly <laughs> scheduled loaded? visit. Do you need to do some warm-ups or something? It was just a regularly scheduled visit the for Gary Bettman. The human porch was denied a bank loan. <laughs> Nothing to see here, Gary Bettman said. Everything is fine. I don't even understand why I'm here. Uh, we'll talk to Mike McIntyre about that at 7.30. 8 o'clock, Brett Festerling, Canucks color man on the Sportsnet 650 radio call for the Canucks. We'll talk to him about the 4-3 overtime loss for the Canucks last night. To the Pittsburgh Penguins. We are also giving away a $100 gift card to Primetime Bridge Brewing for the best what we learned. We already have some submissions. Continue to get them in. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Hashtag it WWL. Let's go with a beer emoji today. You know what it looks like. It's a beer emoji. You could win a $100 gift card to Primetime slash Bridge Brewing for the best what we learned. Working in reverse on the guest list. 8 o'clock, it's Brett Festerling. 7.30, it's Mike McIntyre. 6.30, it's Jeff Merrick. I have to enunciate. Enunciate. Yeah. 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 It's a tough one. Uh, that's what's happening on the program today. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. Sidney Crosby had a pair of assists last night. He now has 1,000 career even strength points. Eric Carlson scored in OT. And the Pittsburgh Penguins got a much-needed 4-3 overtime victory over the Vancouver Canucks at Rogers Arena. So, you were there. Uh, yeah, I was there. Uh, so I, I I wasn't able to do uh, proper uh, my usual, like, very, you know, uh, P 
painstaking prep for the show because I got home and I went, I'm tired. I'm going to bed. Hopefully Halford can handle this. Uh, thanks to my buddy Mark for hooking me up with the best tickets that I've ever had. We were in the black seats. I was I right. No, there were black seats. Yeah, they're black seats now. I was right behind the Canucks bench, so I got a good look of. I was actually sitting right behind Ferraro, and I texted Ferraro. I was like, "Hi." And then I could see him replying to me, but he wouldn't turn around. He just wouldn't. He wouldn't turn around. He, he acknowledged you. He, he didn't want to look. Did you take a picture of yes. the back of his side? Yeah. Next to him? yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. I think he was mad because I took a picture of like the backside of his hair. <laughs> I saw a lot of like follically challenged men right in front of me with the Canucks bench, and then Ferraro was kind of there too. And anyway, I mean, it's not it's not important to make fun of those guys, even though Halford and I have you know excellent hair. Right. So I the game. Say. The game. <laughs> right, so the hockey game. <laughs> uh, got off to a pretty good start. Nils Hoaglander, uh, buzzing, made it one nothing for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Brock Besser uh, on a like these weird power play units. Uh, JT Miller fed him a nice pass, and we we're all like, oh, maybe these weird power play units are going to work. I was hoping that JT Miller would go by the bench when they were celebrating and kind of wink at Petey mm-hmm. and be like, hey, you weren't out on that one, were you? That was, was the first just, unit power play that yeah, did that. That was, that was the first unit power play. Uh, and JT Miller was inc- just absolutely incredible on the night. Watching him battle Sidney Crosby was something, honestly, to behold. And I don't know who was better. Probably JT Miller in my mind, but Sid was just as good. Yep. Um, just a brutal giveaway uh, to start the second. Uh, by Teddy Bluger. I've watched the replay 30 times maybe. I still don't know what Teddy Bluger was trying to do. And I know it was a tough situation. Sam Lafferty put it back to him. But then he just kind of like backhanded it into the middle of the ice. It was bad. I'm like, what? you're usually a pretty smart guy. Who did you think was there besides a bunch of Pittsburgh Penguins? Um, and that was, you know, that wasn't a backbreaker goal. But it brought the Penguins back into the game. You, you could have easily seen the Canucks, you know, take over from there. But that was early in the second, two minutes into the second. Bluger with a brutal giveaway, uh, and it's two to one. Um, then came the penalties, and we've seen the Canucks get into these penalty issues in the last little while. Um, Zadorov takes a penalty, and then three seconds later, Tyler Myers takes a irresponsible high stick. I mean, he, he was I trying mean, to like, convince the officials that it was... Um, it was like, waste high for me. I'm like, yeah, but that's still he was trying to say that it was Raquel's, He was trying to say that Raquel's stick hit Raquel. He was trying to say that he just lifted the stick. But then it, they showed the replay whilst uh, Tyler Myers was complaining, and everyone was like, no, yeah, that argument's not going to hold penalty. weight, not going to hold water. It was I, a penalty. A hundred times out of a hundred. heard some people on the post-game show complaining about the officiating. I'm like... There's nothing to complain about. Referees are bad inherently, but last night wasn't yeah, yeah. it. Well, I, I mean, listen, that penalty that Petey drew when he just kind of fell, I thought it was pretty soft. I was lucky for the Canucks to get at any rate. Um, now, the good news about those two penalties is it gave JT Miller an opportunity to score one of the goals of the year, shorthanded. Uh, the Penguins had just tied it, and he outmuscles, outworks Chris Letang, might have high sticked the puck down to himself. He outcrafted Chris Letang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Letang, like Letang was certainly making that case to the referee. Goes in on a breakaway, and it was three-two. And for the Penguins, 
think about the scenario you are if you're the Penguins there. Everyone's hammering your power play. Your power play is the reason why you're not in a playoff position. They ju- just scored on the power play. Granted, it was a five-on-three, so you're expected to score. And it was a lengthy five-on-three. You're expected to score. Yep. And then, so you're like, okay, maybe the power play's back. And then you give up a shorthanded goal. JJT Miller, like 30 seconds later. Um, the building was buzzing at that point. There was like a JT Miller chant that went out. Uh, I'm not sure if it was then or, or later. It was when, in the third period. Yeah, when Miller was once again out there doing incredible PK work. I'm just, he was he was he was unbelievable. He's the best player on the ice he last was night. I unbelievable think. last night. Yeah, and and Sid was the second best, or it it was reversed. It was mm-hmm. just a an, a crazy performance by JT Miller and the Canucks. Unfortunately, wasted it because in the third period. The Pedersen line had a rough shift in their own end. And, um, you know, I think that started with Juleson blocking a shot, and he was he was clearly hurting. And then the PD line got caught out there for a while, um, but they really weren't moving their feet. Like on, on, the, on the goal that Lars Eller scored, if you watch Pedersen, I, I think he was trying to cover in some ways for Juleson because Juleson was – struggling around out there but you know if you look at his positional play on the on the goal and I, listen I'm not trying to turn this into a pick on Petey because we're going to pick on Elias Lindholm who did nothing all night um and Lars Eller like the the Penguins are buzzing the Canucks were kind of like low energy standing around although I'll, I'm, I'm not going to blame Juleson who was clearly hurting on the play Lars Eller ties it and then for the rest of the third period, both teams kind of like stared at each other and they were like, mm-hmm. a point for each of us and then we'll go to overtime. <laughs> I think Drance called it like a gentleman's agreement. They had a handshake. Like, yeah, they were like, mm, point each. Doesn't really matter from the standings. We're both in different conferences. And then you go to overtime. Um, both teams had chances, uh, but Eric Carlson was able to win the game after just a – I mean, a brutal, unlucky shift by Connor Garland where, first of all, he gets the puck on his stick and doesn't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. And the Penguins go, how about I take that from you? And they take it from you. And then Garland, in his recovery, he fell down. He fell down. down. It was tough, but he fell. Thatcher Demko made an incredible save, but there was a rebound. And I don't know if Garland was still falling down like, no he was I trying know, to get I'm back just joking no you might have been right uh, but he was, i watched he, he, he came back and then when the goal went in he smashed his stick there, over there, the net there, there was actually a rear double smashing because garland smashed his stick and i don't think he broke it like on the goal and then jt miller was like let me show you how it's done yep from a professional yeah, see so you, you got to hold it at the yeah, certain yeah. angle let's just watch mm-hmm. what i do and then he snapped his stick uh, over the crossbar. And, so much for that and, composure, eh, boys? And, well, no, it was after the game, so it was he. he played, still played whistle to whistle, but uh, he was he was pretty angry, and I don't blame him because he played a whale of a game, and then in overtime, they lose. Um, you know, th- the positives from that was it was an entertaining game. Once again, the Canucks lost. Like they were, they've been having trouble with these desperate teams, right? Mm-hmm. If you think about Minnesota. A 10-7 wild game. Minnesota's desperate. Yep. Outside, looking in. They needed the game. They lost the game. Seattle was kind of a similar situation. 
They go into Seattle. Seattle's desperate for a playoff spot. Canucks don't match their energy. They lose the game. They come back and they play Boston, who I'm pretty confident is going to make the playoffs. They beat the Boston Bruins. And in an odd way, what the Canucks did against the Boston Bruins in keeping their composure, um, realizing, okay, we're down a few goals, but we got to keep trying, you know? Like, we got yep. we got we to stay in the game. The Penguins did that to the Canucks because the Penguins had just flown across the country after that wild 7-6 win over the Flyers. They'd just flown across the country to play a team that, you know, should in theory have been rested because they'd had a couple days off. They had a practice, mm-hmm. and then they had a full day off, and then they played the game. And also the Penguins are old. Very old. A lot of Oldest team in the NHL. A lot of old players, and they hung in there. And at the end of the game, I think they outworked the Canucks overall. They were first to pucks for the most part, except if you were JT Miller. And they probably, even though it was a very even game overall, they probably deserved to win. Uh, I had several people in uh, Penguins Twitter, which does exist and is a real thing, calling that their biggest win of the season. And if you look at it, it's hard to argue. They're absolutely desperate for points, and they just went on the road into the barn of the best team in the National Hockey League standing-wise and rallied twice from deficits, 2 nothing and 3-2, to get two points in an overtime victory. That's a huge win for Pittsburgh. Um, and they, you can see last night that they're a flawed team. You can see that they've got parts of their team that just don't work. Uh, they look really slow. Malkin looked really slow and laborious at times, but they have enough individual talent and when they get one or two guys, like I thought Lars Eller had a really good game for them last night. When they're going... Lars Eller was really, was the first star of the game. I, I know. Think. And Lars yeah. Eller, if you look at his season, he's mm-hmm. kind of been butt. He hasn't done anything. Like, no, sorry. Been... Ricard Raquel was the Yeah, Raquel star. had a good yeah. night yeah. as well last night. But yeah, like yeah. Uh, Riley Smith, um, the guys that you would expect to maybe show up come crunch time, like Jeff Carter is now very old. Anyway, I don't want to spend too much time talking about the Pittsburgh Penguins, but we do need to talk about the Vancouver Canucks. It was a JT Miller show last night. Uh, that also kind of put on display all the other guys who weren't that great. Here's the head coach, Rick Tockett, talking about how sloppy and disjointed things were of the guys not named JT Miller last night. Not very impressed with the performance. 4-3 loss for the Canucks in overtime to the Penguins. Here's the head coach, Rick Tockett, on how sloppy it was for his charges. Well, I just thought there was some sloppy stuff, you know, um, detailed stuff. There was, you know, some guys looked tired out there. To be honest with you, but it was, uh, you know, even when we're up three to two on that, you know, we give them that goal, bad coverage, you know. Um, yeah, I, I didn't think a lot of guys, there's a lot of average guys out there. You know, Millsy drove to play again today. I thought Millsy was great, you know, very, very good today. So a lot of average guys out there. We may as well turn our attention to Elias Lindholm. I, part of me hates doing this because I do still feel as though there's a feeling out, figuring out process at play at the same time. No, he was, it's he was, the National Hockey League. He was invisible. last. That, that well, line. not quite, because they were actually exposed for how badly they got caved in. So not necessarily invisible. Yeah, he wasn't invisible <laughs> on natural statrics. Uh, <laughs> it was very egregiously bad. Yeah. Um, I just, I, he was very, very, very quiet. Here's, here's how it went in terms of centers. Like, there was uh, J.T. Miller, who was incredible, Elias Pettersson, who was fine at times, but definitely not good enough to say, like, I'm a $12 million player, right? Definitely not good enough. And you heard Talkett talk about the coverage on the the tying goal 
to make it 3-3, the 3-2 tying goal. That was Petey out there, and I don't really know what he was doing. Just go watch the replay, and you tell me what Petey was doing. He was standing around in the left corner. I'm like, no one's there. Um, so that was a coverage issue for sure, and uh, like I don't think Hoaglander looked very good on that. Um, but Petey also had his moments, right? He he did have his moments. He has some scoring chances. He, he, early on in the game, he looked good. Late in the game, he did not look good. Lindholm was invisible all night. And this is after a game that I thought he played really well with Garland and Baines in the Bruins game. I thought he was excellent. And he had me thinking, oh, man, you know, like what about a line once Joshua is back of Lindholm, Joshua, and Garland? Like if Lindholm plays like that, the way he played against the Boston Bruins, that could be, that line could be a force in the playoffs. And to have that as your, Third line, although it might be the second line if the PD line doesn't find anything. Like, just to have that as a line, mm-hmm. you know, I th- I think could be, like, a very, very good um, playoff line. And now, <laughs> after that performance, I'm kind of like, like, that should have been one of their advantages against the Penguins, having right. a line like that. And now you're going to play an L.A. team which we all know they've got those three centers, although I don't even know if we count Dubois. <laughs> like, if he plays center. Uh, yeah, if he plays He's center. He's on the roster. Like, yeah, like technically it should be like Kopitar, Deneau, and Dubois, and you should be like, whoa, that's really impressive. But I don't I don't know where Dubois' game is. I'm sure we can talk about well, that Yeah, they, they got whittled away by injuries too. Yeah, at any rate, um, the Lindholm line didn't do well enough, and – and there haven't been many games, especially lately, that we've been like, oh, Connor Garland wasn't very good. Uh, and, but Connor Garland wasn't very good last night. Okay, here's my thought. He tried hard. He just wasn't very effective. My thought is that once Joshua's back, you just you automatically play Garland, Bluger, Joshua. Just it made it makes no sense to go away from it. The third line. Well, what you could end up doing is keeping them together. And then having Lindholm have his own line still, but you've got to essentially play him with, now you're talking, well, is it Baines is going to be his winger? And then Sap brought up a really interesting point during the intermission yesterday. It almost feels like if they want to have Lindholm play center, which I think they do, because Tockett said on a number of occasions now, like, this guy's a center. Yeah, I think he's a center. He's not a winger. I think you need to find him another winger. I think they might be light on wingers, which is crazy to say because they've got a collection of them. But I don't know if they have the right wingers. They need Beauvillier Beauvillier back. Maybe not that. They never should have traded (laughs) him. It was the hugest mistake of the season. Nobody talks about it. Nobody talks about it. We had Beauvillier. (laughs) Now we don't. No, I I do wonder if that's the play. Nobody talks about it. I was picking that up. Nobody talks about it. A little bit of Trump there. It It needs to start in the back of your throat. That's what I figured out. Beauvillier. See? Um, I think that that might be the play. Part of what's going on right now with the sort of disjointed, not complete efforts, I think, is because there's a lot of line blendering going on. Well, there's power play blendering going on. Which is fine. They are in such an advantageous position standings-wise mm-hmm. that you know you can play with your food a little bit and you can try some things. Why not? I mean, here's the thing. For as very average, and some would say subpars, the Canucks have been post-All-Star break, They've still collected 12 points from 12 games, and they've still got a very healthy lead atop the Pacific Division, which is really the important thing here. And they are going to get 
Dakota Joshua back, which is funny, as I said, is like the salvation or the light at the end of the tunnel. But he was so that line. I don't think we really understand just how good it was until it's gone. Like we looked at that line and said, it could be the first line. It could be the second line. Mm -hmm. They put up 60 points over a 20 game stretch collectively. And now that it's gone, you don't have that sort of security wow. blanket where you can throw it over the boards and say, "Go get us something." Right? I actually think we do have we did have a great appreciation for that line and how, well, you and how, I, did. How, how, well, a lot of people did. I think you know people were trying to come up with names for the line, but they were just you know you put you put it well. They were the security blanket that you could put out there when the game was turning. You're like, you know, those guys are going to turn it back in your favor. Um, this isn't really what we learned. It's unsigned. JT Miller has been in on 70% of the Canucks goals over the last five uh, five games. Also, the fourth line was the best line last night. The fourth line played well, and if you look at their underlying numbers, they were dominant, but they weren't the best line because of the Bluger mistake. Like the, 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 that was Miller Besser Suter was good. Like they, I know, I think it was either Shorty or Ray or both of them at the same time made note of the fact of how good they were getting in on the forecheck throughout the night. No, no, no Miller but, on his own was good. But to, I'm talking about the fourth line here. I know, I'm but, I'm, about but fourth, I'm saying like, I think that was the best line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not yeah, the fourth. I line. just don't think you can you can call the fourth line. They like, they didn't. They're fine. They no no no. They were good, but what I'm saying is they made. Blue, uh, Bluger made the maybe the biggest mistake of the night. Mm-hmm. You know, putting that puck out into the middle of the ice when the Canucks had a two nothing lead, and if they had gotten the next goal, that game was over. And instead, you th- you, you threw the Penguins a lifeline. Mm-hmm. You threw them a lifeline, and then the Canucks got into penalty trouble, and it was tied. Right now, mm-hmm. JT Miller quickly broke that tie. Um, but that goal, and, and it, listen, I'm not going to sit here and rip Bluger. He's been very good for the Canucks this year. Way better than I expected. He's been part of that. It, it was actually, I, I watched this so many times because Bluger's been so so dependable. I was like, what? Bluger did that? My Teddy Bluger? Like, he's so dependable. What was he, th- what was he thinking on that? I, it wasn't, like, Lafferty dropped it back to him on the wall. Say. And, you know, I know he's trying to make a play. Maybe he thought a Canucks defenseman was coming through to support the puck, but I, I, I still don't understand why he just threw it out into the middle of the ice. And so you cannot call that line the best line when you make a major, major mistake like that is my only point. And the fourth line, you can't be doing stuff like that. Right. That's all. Uh, okay, so uh, other scores from last night really quick as they pertain to the Vancouver Canucks. The next team that the Canucks will face is Thursday night at Rogers Arena. It's the Los Angeles Kings. The Kings are a slumping. They lost their third in their last four last night, a 4-2 defeat in Calgary. So they go in to Edmonton and Calgary. They run through Alberta. They get nothing out of it. They get a night off, a day off today. Then they'll play in Vancouver on Thursday. The Kings are in not a great spot right now. Uh, they're not winning games. Camp Talbot was not good last night. They lost Victor Arvidsson. He's on LTIR. They lost Adrian Kempe to injury as well. And there's reports coming out of Los Angeles that he might be going on LTIR. Now Rob Blake is working the phones to try and find a last minute right before the deadline's fix to solve that. Because that's a huge offensive weapon for them. So they're going to get, the Canucks that is, they're going to get an LA Kings team on Thursday that's not winning a lot of hockey games right now that is now tied with Nashville on 68 points. So I know that Nashville doesn't have the games in hand. The Kings do. But mm-hmm. when you look at that wild card chase right now, 
The Kings are not safe. I know that they will probably make the playoffs statistically, <laughs> but the Kings are not playing well right now, and they haven't played well for the better part of two months. They've been very erratic. And, and the, right now, they're like Calgary, that game last night, Calgary drew within five points of the Kings in the standings. Well, the Canucks could do some damage to the Kings because the damage. Canucks have, is it four games left against them in the season? They got, yeah, they've got, so they play them Thursday night and then they play them again. You're going to see on so March much 5th, LA King over the next three weeks. And then again on March uh, 25th and then one more time on April 6th. So four games against the LA Kings. You know how the Canucks like totally threw the beginning of the Edmonton Oilers season off? Mm-hmm. They could totally throw the end of the L.A. King season off. Which would be amazing. Uh, the other team in the Pacific Division that we've been keeping an eye on, the Vegas Golden Knights, of course. And, of course, the Toronto Maple Leafs could not do us a favor. Uh, they were unable to keep their seven-game win streak going. They lost last night to Vegas 6-2 in Toronto. Interesting notes there. Not only that the Leafs' seven-game winning streak was snapped, but uh, Sheldon Keefe got tossed at the end of this one. He got a game misconduct for arguing with Garrett Rank. Head referee Garrett Rank. He said, you're not going to like this, Sheldon. You're out of here. And that was it. So he's he's been, I forgot, he got fined not too long ago, $25,000 for abusing officials. And then he got tossed last night. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. to Pedersen, he tipped it to the line, and JT Miller hooks it to center, he's got a breakaway, Miller, shorthanded, scores! JT Miller on the shorthanded breakaway scores his 30th of the season, and the Canucks are back in front, as he fires it top shelf to make it 3-2. 801 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour three of the program. Brett Festerling is going to join us in just a moment here. Hour three is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Kintech. Uh, to the phone lines we go. The dispatch plumbing, heating, and air conditioning hotline. The first call, the only call. This call goes to Canucks color analyst Brett Festerling here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Brett. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. How are you guys doing? Uh, We're well. Spent a lot of time talking about yesterday's game. We played what looked like it might have been the game-winning goal yesterday, the 3-2 goal by JT Miller, shorthanded. But then, of course, the Canucks lost 4-3 in overtime to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, It certainly felt like the Canucks wasted a vintage JT Miller performance last night. He was terrific in that loss to the Penguins. Yeah, he's really elevated his game here in the last, call it, 10, 10 days or five games and, and yesterday was no different that goal was pretty amazing actually to get that uh whack it behind him get it up to him and then and score shorthanded after that goal was was pretty amazing um what did you think of the other centers last night because we kind of had this thing going like jt miller was great Pedersen was fine lindholm didn't really notice him yeah yeah probably like i that's the order i put it in like beluger you kind of notice he had a bad turnover, but I think the fourth line actually had a really good showing. That's kind of a positive mm-hmm. for that, but you're right. I think 
Lindholm didn't really notice him. It'll be interesting to see if they continue that center kind of down down the middle strengths when Dakota Joshua gets back. I'd like to see Lindholm with Dakota Joshua and Garland, perhaps. Yeah, me and, too. And, you know, that puts Beluger down to the fourth, unfortunately, but maybe that adds some of that magic that we've seen that third line have, and maybe that can get Lindholm to kind of his own line with his own energy and, and jumpstart him a bit that way. So, so sorry, you, you'd you like to see Lindholm with Joshua and Garland as opposed to Bluger back with Joshua and Garland or the other way around? I mean, I think he's kind of the unfortunate casualty. He's probably Bluger down the middle. Mm. Is that unfair to him? Halford and I yeah, were, disco- yeah. were, were discussing that because like, they had this great chemistry and it wasn't like Bluger was just a passenger on that. He actually was looking pretty creative offensively and I mean, he was the center on that line. I, I, I'm really curious to see what uh, Rick Tockett does there because he has to find a spot for Elias Lindholm and so far we're kind of like, oh, we're still not sure where it is. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think I don't think it's necessarily fair to Bluger. He's he's that line's been, I think, you know, the most consistent line all year. And they deserve to stay together. But you're right, they just need to find a place for this guy and unfortunately they're I would think that's probably the easiest way to test it. If they like this center strength and they want to go with this puck possession kind of feature. And I do think it was probably more if you look at the last two games, more of a balanced attack in terms of consistently lines over the wall and then stacking you know a, a couple of times last night you saw Lafferty, DJ Seven, Bluger get momentum, grind it out and then whoever it was, Petey come over the top or Miller's line and then they kind of build on that I think you've seen more of that in the last two games in terms of that depth throughout the lineup so mm-hmm. I think they'll give Lindholm a chance in, in between Garland and, and Dakota Joshua but that's the weird predicament that third line has been so good. It just it creates this weird gap in the lineup where, yeah, your fourth line or your second line, and, it, and it's a big jump. So it's hard to find spots for Lindholm's, Beluger's, Suiter's when when that third line's going. Or I guess Beluger's beyond that, but you know what I'm saying. I do want to get back to JT Miller because watching him play last night and lined up against Sidney Crosby, who was also really good, that was that was a fun battle to watch. And JT Miller was on the same level as one of the greatest hockey players in NHL history. Um, is this most recent stretch, even though um, the Canucks have had a few wobbles along that stretch, is this the best hockey he's played for as a member of the Vancouver Canucks? I think so. And probably the best leadership in terms of his, his emotion. We like, we all know he's had a, know a lot of public um you know displays of emotion say and when he harnesses it he's he's a pretty powerful player in this league and a good leader and i think he's shown that even i don't know if you guys caught the uh post game for miller but he was mad yeah right he was mad they gave away a point he he thought the second was terrible he, he, I don't want to say he called out the team, but he said, we got 2 nothing in the first. We don't need five, six goals, saying kind of we need to not get away from our our staples and the things that we do to get us up 2 nothing. And we got to realize that's that's the game we got to play. So, I mean, it's definitely the best I've seen him play, and he's elevated his game coming down the stretch, which is great news for the Canucks. So I'm definitely a big fan when he plays like this. Um, what does it mean to you when you hear channel your emotions in a positive way? 
I, I like that a lot more than I like, I wish he would show some emotion. Right. 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 Like, yeah, there is, there is, there's always going to be guys like that. Athletes at the highest level and the guys that are best in the game are always very emotionally committed, how they channel it, um, can affect their play. But yeah, it, he's an emotional guy. I want that on my team. Obviously it can boil over, but that's up to, to the team and the coach to try to uh, rein him in. And mm-hmm. I think he showed a lot of maturity in terms of his emotions and, and what he does with it. But I, I love it. I yeah. want a guy like that going down the stretch into the playoffs. You know, I like the heartbeat, even if it is going a little bit too much. No, I think he's done a terrific job of doing exactly that, channeling his emotions in a positive way. I think, before maybe um, you loved seeing the passion, but you wondered, well, I wondered two things. I wondered how much his emotions got himself off his own game. Like he was thinking in the past about things that had already happened in the game when there was nothing you could do about it. But maybe it could also be a distraction to your teammate who has like, you know, those benches are pretty tight. And then you got to sit next to a guy that's like freaking out on the bench and you're getting (laughs) distracted a a little bit and you're used to it as a hockey player, right? Like you're used to seeing teammates go off. But I think, you know, after the Boston game, did you not find it quite interesting that Rick Tockett singled out JT Miller himself for being a leader, keeping the team composed, not just like on board, but one of the leaders and saying, Hey guys, let's stay focused. And they were able to come back and win the game. Yeah, it's huge. It shows maturity. Like for him to for him to not only be the guy that's saying stay composed, we're we're winning this game, but also he's out there being a torpedo, leading the team with eight hits in the first two periods and hard hits. He does he puts everything into those hits, so he's not letting a single Boston player off the hook. Plus he's driving the play offensively, plus he's the guy telling everybody to stick with it and calm down. So that's I mean, for a guy like that to step up and and stack on top of a guy like Hughes plus talk its message right those are all big things that build coming down the stretch here and, and just pull everybody in line and get those 60 first kind of thing uh open-ended question here what are you seeing from Elias Pettersson right now I mean I thought he was great last night like I thought I thought he had a lot of opportunities last night him and Hoaglander play are showing some chemistry like there is still certain things that people get frustrated about in terms of maybe certain games he's not as dominant or um yeah I I I, I don't think he's playing bad. Mm-hmm. I still think they I think they went out to answer uh you know who can play with Pedersen and Lindholm hasn't fit so they're still kind of in just a bit with that. It, it seems like, but I don't know. What do you guys think? I think he I thought, I, 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 well. I thought he was good early on. Um, yeah. I don't think he was as good late in the game when the game was still hanging in the balance. Um, I like him and Hoaglander together. I think Hoaglander yeah. has been an, a, a really nice fit for him because um, he's got that motor and he goes yeah, and sure. he goes and he's able to get pucks. Uh, now, on that being said, on the tying goal, um, there were a few things that happened on that goal. There was, I think Lars Eller broke his stick and then he went back to the bench to get another stick and then everyone kind of forgot about him and he was able to come back into the zone and pick up the puck and the Canucks were kind of standing around there. Um, so that in some ways that was lucky and I also think that 
uh, Noah Juleson, who like he is, he's like he 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 takes a lot. Like he gives hits, he takes hits, he blocks a lot of shots, and he was kind of hurt on that play too. So there's a lot of weirdness there. But I was watching the shift of Pedersen, and he just didn't seem to be in, involved in in the play defensively. And I think. That's maybe an area where his game has slipped a little bit. The two-way, um, the two-way game that we always kind of lauded him for. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think last year he really elevated his defensive game. Like that's where we, he took it to a new level. That I don't know if we all knew he had that in terms of his smarts and back checking and kind of Datsuk like. Last year, right, I think right. it's fallen off a bit this year. You're right. I mean, on that particular play, I think Mikhail's the guy that needs to get out of there, and then it's his guy that gets a shot through that hits Juleson, which would have stung right. so bad. Oh my god! He's getting that in front kind of. He had that a few times. Off. He he had that <laughs> a few times where he 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 blocked a shot and he came back to the bench, and I'm like, oh, the trainer's going to talk to him. And the trainer was like, "Yeah, that happens. It's it's yeah. it's crazy. Like he's the he's the new Tanev in terms of pain and management. I mean, you've you've blocked shots in the NHL. How do guys like are they just that tough that they just they're like, well, that's part of the gig. And if I want to be in the NHL, that's what I got to do. Yeah, yeah, kind of. That's that's what it is. If you know you're one of those guys, you need to get in front of it. That's just what you get paid to do. Like." We used to have, I mean, that's it's junior, but Don Hay used to put block shots and hits on the board after every single game. And you kind of knew that was just part of the fabric of the team, part of those staples that Talk talks about. So, I mean, but that's kind of cemented him as a, re- you see him as a regular player on the, on the Canucks now. Like, I don't think of him as an AHL call-up right now, and that's what he's done to get over that hump. So I think, you know, that being said, I don't want to block shots with my ribs. That would hurt. <laughs> that stings a lot. So, I don't know. He, he's. I think he's added a lot of value being able to do that stuff. And I think in a game now that does less of that in terms of the physicality and blocking shots, he, he's been a standout for that, for the Canucks. And you see it yesterday, five on three, he's out there. He's, he's on the first three guys out there. So, they show a lot of commitment in him. We're speaking to Brett Festerling, Canucks radio analyst and former NHLer here on the Halford and Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Brett, I'm going to go off course a little bit here, but prior to getting you on, we were talking a lot about the Winnipeg Jets. We actually had a guest on from the Winnipeg Free Press talking about uh, the current plight that the team finds itself in with diminished attendance, low season ticket holder numbers. So you spent the final year of your NHL career with the organization. It was actually the first year that they went back to Winnipeg. I know you only played a handful of games with the Jets and you spent most of your time in St. John's, but what do you remember about the energy, the excitement level, the thrill of having hockey being back in Winnipeg in that year that you spent with the organization moving from Atlanta to Winnipeg? It's hard for me to imagine it struggling like they're talking about. Okay. Cuz when we cuz when we came back, I played in the very first exhibition game back in that building. And it, it might as well have been a fourth round, you know, in the finals, cup final. Right, right. Like downtown was packed. We were getting, like, there's crowds for warm-ups. Obviously, people are down in the class. But it was completely full. The, what 
whatever that holds, 13,000. 13,000 people in there chanting before we got out for warm-ups. And every every game was sold out. Every game, everybody was losing their mind. Energy was through the roof. I've, I don't know if I've ever actually experienced like a sustained crowd like that in terms. And then when I was up, I, I got hurt. But I was there for kind of two and a half months. And that was that carried through into you know November, December, January. Even when they had like the like Tanner Glass was there and all those guys, and they just there was so much energy and they bought into and they had like a lot of workman like guys. Yeah, it was a really fun atmosphere and it was always sold out and it was a hard ticket to get. So the fact that they're struggling is surprising to me and and obviously points to probably a different issue, but it's unfortunate because those were really fun games to play. Do the players in the dressing room? talk amongst themselves about crowds like do they say like you know that that was incredible like i i, I can't yeah. believe it's because sometimes i just wonder if nhlers especially the veteran guys just get used to it or not a bit of both like you get used to it but there's special crowds and there's special nights like the boston night when when that ot goal went in that was like those crowds you feel that and guys talk about that you get that kind of hair on your neck stand up that San Jose used to be like that when you you know there there is really good crowds and you know the buildings that are really loud you know ones that are quiet like saddle dome's really quiet in the first toronto can be so quiet in a weekday during the first because mm-hmm. there's just nobody right it's all business seats <laughs> so you know that guys know that and and they'll prep like that if you go into montreal especially when they're good hey we got to weather the storm first 10 here they're going to throw everything at us be ready for the crowd be ready for them to get into it so like yeah you do talk about that start and it'll go the other way hey it's going to be dead here we need our own energy get it deep get in the forecheck they're the one that needs to put a show on so those we've got 100% talk about those things, and, and it does it makes a big difference when the building's going like it was versus Boston. That's for sure. Hey, Brett, this was great, man. Thanks for taking the time to do it. As always, we appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the game on Thursday. Should be a good one. We'll do this again soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. That's Brett Festling, former NHLer and current Canucks color analyst, right here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, it is what we learn time, and uh, I want to start because I actually learned something for real last night not like i learned something more about something i already knew or i gained more knowledge in an area where i already had some i went from knowing nothing about something to learning something and i actually felt a little remiss i felt a little disappointed in myself because as you know now i'm a conspiracy theory guy yeah, you are. I'm into conspiracy theories now. I I went one. You're late way. to the party. I know, but now I'm just getting caught up. Okay, so I'm well, like, that's good. I mean, like you, you need everyone needs a hobby. Right. Give me the horse dewormer. I'm ready to go. Right, let's go. So mm. I'm I'm on I'm on the internet yesterday, and I don't know if you guys know this or not, but there's lots of conspiracy theories on the internet. Y- yep. Mm-hmm. Now you really are catching up. Yep. Oh, well, there's a. Was a timely reference. We got both newfound conspiracy theories and old timely references. So, yeah. did you guys know that there's a conspiracy theory out there about Cal Ripken Jr.'s consecutive game streak and that it was almost going to come to an end because he, according to Urban Myth, <laughs> got into a fight with Kevin Costner? What? 
Because Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner. He of multiple baseball movies, including Field of Dreams, mm-hmm. Waterworld, Dances with Wolves, a great baseball movie. The top three best picture winner, movies. Robin Hood. This is where we get off track. Superman's Look, head. I'm trying to conspiracy <laughs> theorize. Okay. The the, so, the urban legend goes yeah. that Kevin Costner messed around with Cal Ripken Jr.'s wife. Okay. And it, it it led to the two of them coming to blows to the point where Cal Ripken Jr. allegedly injured his hand during the fight. Now, the issue was that it injured his hand so badly that his Iron Man streak, this was back in 1997, was in jeopardy. So what they did was, allegedly, the Orioles <laughs> caused an electrical issue at Camden Yards. They shut off the lights. Said, we got an electrical issue. We can't play the game. So the Cal Rifkin Jr. could heal up, get his hand back to normal. That, that one-day hand the injury. The one-day hand injury? Mm-hmm. Dakota was, Joshua is like, I want that. It was longer than that. Okay. But. So you're saying Kevin Costner almost cost Cal Rifkin. The only reason I'm bringing this up is the only reason we're going to say yeah. A, why is this coming up? It's now? in the New York Post because Will Ferrell oh, on a recent the New York Post. Will Ferrell on a recent podcast <laughs> said high end journalism. New Will, York Post. By the way, is he doing Will, his Harry Carey impression when he did Will Ferrell? Just What's to your con- favorite planet, Monster Sun. We're getting distracted again. I'm trying to conspiracy theorize. Uh, there's a podcast called the My Mama Told Me podcast. Will Ferrell was on it, and he said that uh, this thing has some legs. It says it checks out. So now that my conspiracy theory has been vetted by an official source, Will Ferrell, uh, I am deeply into this. And I also want to add, I can't believe that I've... I, did, I got a question for you guys. Have you ever heard of this before? Never. Never, never heard of no, this. No, no, no. Okay. So Kevin Costner apparently has addressed it publicly. Oh, really? Will uh, uh, Cal Ripken on NPR <laughs> addressed it in 2008. Wow. So this is On NPR? I imagine that conversation. Like, like, there was a rumor out there that... Like I, very slow paced. So that's what I'm saying. Like it's been out so there. What did they, the, those guys obviously denied it. They right? denied it. They said that it it never happened and what have you. But the bigger issue now, the other conspiracy theory is how in the year of 2024 have I not heard of this? The truth is out there because it's untrue. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand what you're saying. Anyway, Mook, how all that? Uh, Adog, you got a what we learned, right? Oh yeah, this this blew my mind yesterday. Actually made me a little angry. It, it feels very dystopian and almost not real, and I'm very greedy, which shouldn't surprise anyone at this point. And with the economy that we live in, but they are apparently Wendy's, the fast food restaurant Wendy's in the, in right. the U.S., not necessarily in Canada, but for sure in the U.S. Next year are going to be practicing surge pricing. Which okay, okay hold is, on, is hold the, on, surge pricing. Yeah, you know how Uber does it, and 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 ride sharing does it. Like when it gets really busy during the busy time, the peak hours. The price of an Uber will go up as opposed to, say, like if you call it at like two in the afternoon or something. Got it. So, and they're trying this with restaurants. Wendy's well, specifically. Hold on, hold on a sec. You haven't done your follow up. Wendy's now denies this. Wendy's says Wendy's will not implement surge pricing, which is the practice of raising prices when demand is highest. We didn't use that phrase, nor do we plan to implement that practice. Um, I guess what happened they're walking was, it back. was walking it back. They are planning to invest. In digital menu boards that will allow surge pricing, which they already have at the Wendy's I go to. Yes, 
that would all it is is allow a, it. a report yeah. came out and they walk it back. I guarantee you, this is something I, they were thinking of. I think I'm sure it's been thought of before by other companies these, too. I think one of these things. I don't know if it was like a, an investor relations or like an analyst call, and they're they're kind of like. Uh, yeah, we got these digital menu boards, which could, in theory, allow us to implement surge pricing, yeah. and they'll say that to you know promote their stock or or whatever. I don't know. Maybe it was in some, it. some report, and then yeah, well, I mean, it's could you imagine though? It'll come to that. You go it to get a burger at two o'clock, and then or and you're like, okay, I'm go back to get another one at six o'clock, and it's five bucks more. Well, it already well, happens in other industries. Going yeah. twice to Wendy's in a day. It happens with Uber with yeah. the demand, right? They, but wouldn't they it be insane? Like the, the price of food will change based on the time of day that it you will. order it. It will. Just it will. the concept will of that 100% makes happen. me angry. It is so ridiculous. All you have to do is adjust one your eating habits, which you should have done before surge pricing. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> should have taken you, this to get you the yeah. Like the so Wendy's, of- Wendy's, you only get Wendy's now at like 10:30 a.m. or something or like that. Or 2 p.m. Is that the plan? So Wendy's is trying to spin it, actually. They said the, the new policy is aimed at driving sales during slower parts of the day. Yeah, so, so we'll make the, make the food more expensive during the hot parts of the day so you come when it's slower. But if you eat at different times, the food won't be more expensive. You know, another thing you could do is make your own food. Well, get out of here. Seriously. Would this not be an excellent <laughs> opportunity? If I'm, <laughs> if I'm in marketing right now for a large grocery chain, my number one thing, I could be a mad. You do surge pricing, too. <laughs> I could, yeah. What, when are we going to start doing this? Mm-hmm. I'll say, you know what never has surge pricing? Groceries. Yeah. Oh, yeah. People are really happy with the Yet. price of groceries these days. That's yeah. how you combat Let's it. Let's draw more attention yeah, to yeah. the price. This is how you combat it. Mm-hmm. You could say our prices might be going up. But they won't be going up during certain parts of the day. <laughs> you know the $100 bag of apples you just bought? Well, it'll be cheaper if you buy it at 2 in the afternoon. Apples, $100 a day, 24 hours a day. There we go. There right. we go. Moo cow. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff.